Hello, my name is Ed Kozell, and welcome to Conversations with Calistoga, a periodic series of conversations with interesting, topical, or just colorful characters in our town. Today's podcast is one of a series discussing the Palisades housing development, an area of 44 single-family homes located on the north side of Calistoga at the foot of the Palisades, and developed in the early 1990s by Paul Coates, a resident general contractor. In a town known for a strong focus on affordable housing, the Palisades development stands tall. Instead of the usual 10% requirement for affordable homes, the developer chose to sell 50% of the homes at affordable rates. How this was accomplished was the topic of the conversation with Paul and Kate Coates in the first of this series. Today's conversation is with Sharon Carone, co-founder of Calistoga Realty, who assisted Paul and Kate with the sale of the Palisades family homes, but also, importantly, with the details and execution of the affordable component of the 22 homes. Her memory complements Paul and Kate's and provides details on the silent second mortgage created to allow so many Calistoga residents to purchase a family home. Well, Sharon Carone, thank you very much for your time today. Um, I understand that uh, you you are uh, a longtime Calistoga resident. You you came here in 1977. Is that the case? That's correct. Where did you come here from? Bay Area. Uh, which part? Rodeo. Oh, oh, okay, Rodeo. I I grew up in the uh, Oakland Hills, so I, oh, I, okay. I I knew Rodeo, and uh, it's a nice area. So it it, is. This, this is better. Absolutely. Um, and and so you you were you friends with Paul and Kate at the time of the Palisades uh, development? Paul, well, Paul and and I met mid eighty five around eight eighty nineteen eighty five, mm-hmm. and he was at the time looking to do a different subdivision, and he did, which is the one at the end of Cedar Street called Cyrus Creek Court, or right. Cyrus Creek. And he did that one. We, we worked together on it. And then it was after that that he put together the Palisades. Okay. And, and at what point during the Palisades did, did it become clear to you that this was going to be a bit different in terms of affordability than the, the work he'd done before? Right from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, Paul was trying to figure out a way to make these houses affordable. Um, and so I started asking around and, and um, ran into a gal. Her name was Joan Picard. She was in Santa Rosa. And she had all, all kinds of ideas about programs for lending and affordable housing. So we finally put together this program where um, using Napa Valley Housing Authority figures for um, what an affordable house would be for someone making 110 to 120 percent of median income and um, Paul knew that the market rate on the houses was going to be more than that so I think it might have been Joan that came up with the idea of creating a silent second and that's what we did he only needed to have 10 percent of those 44 homes be affordable per se but he decided to to extend that program to cover all uh, 50 percent right. of them correct yeah, and, and- what happened is in discussion, Paul's one of those that thinks about things and then goes and solves the little problems all around it. And so what he did was make the city an offer um, that if they would relax 
the, or back off a little on the water and sewer fees. And I believe, and I don't have a copy of the development agreement. I don't know if Paul has, but I believe there were some other things that they did. For instance, if you've ever driven down or from, from Lake Street to the Palisade subdivision, you'll notice that there's a stretch of money lane that is only half paved or half done. So the city allowed him to get to do that rather than do complete the whole street um, up to where it gets wider next to Emerald subdivision. So there were things that they backed off on to help offset what he was going to be giving up and profit on the subdivision. And the, the idea of, of um, prioritizing Calistoga residents was, was that, where did that come from? in terms of who could qualify into this affordability program? There were, it was Paul's idea, even when he did Cyrus Creek, Paul's idea was try to, to get homes for the post office people and the teachers and et cetera, et cetera. And so a lot of Cyrus Creek went to people like that, but those houses at the time, that was 1988, 87 and 88, houses were in the $120,000, $130,000 price range. Um, by 1992, that had changed substantially. So um, just in chatting and talking about it, we decided we wanted to prioritize it because a, quite a few, a few people that bought in Cyrus Creek were second home people, more or less, and that's not what we were targeting. So we put together the idea of keeping it for people who lived and or worked here and we knew it had to be no greater than 120% of median income, the value of the house, or I think we went up to 130%. Um, I do have some of the paperwork, a little bit of it with explanations if you want it, I'd be happy to share it with you. Oh, thank you. Did you know many of the people who ended up uh, purchasing those, those affordable homes? Yeah, almost. I mean, all, not we knew of them. I mean, they worked in town. Um, a lot of them we knew, period. I mean, by then I had been here quite a few years so and been selling real estate. So we had encountered most of them. And yeah, we knew just about everybody. So the, the silent second was, as I understand it, typically used as the down payment or yes. very often used as the down payment. And yesterday I indicated to you that it was somewhere between 20 and 30,000, but it actually, I found the, the prices. We actually were doing 40 and $50,000 seconds at 5% interest, no payment on it. Um, the accrued, the 5% accrued for the first five years. And after five years, it no longer accrued, but it was all due and payable if they sold or forgiven after 30 years which is just a couple of years away now for most of those yeah. early buyers. Yes. When you look back on that program, it, was it successful in your eyes? I think so. There are those that would say no, because only a couple houses were picked up again after resale by the city because the prices had gone up. But I think the offset there is the people, I mean, some of those houses have been remodeled nicely there was pride of ownership. Most of them are still in their houses. Um, yeah, I think it was successful. And do you think a, a similar program would be possible today? Not, not a copy, because we all know that pressure of costs and 
and, mm-hmm. and uh, regulations and things like that. But the idea of a developer actively getting involved with their own money to support affordable housing uh, for families. Uh, well, do you, most would you developers, like, go ahead. Most developers don't think that way, I guess. Right. That's what you were going <laughs> to say. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, but if you could find someone, Um, Mm -hmm. the next step is to get the city to cooperate. Paul had a particularly good relationship um, with public works and with the planning department. And as I said, he's a problem solver. So when it came to, okay, you can't do it this way because he'd sleep on it and Mm -hmm. come up with something and they'd renegotiate. So it took, it took a lot of work on Paul's part just to get it going, but it worked. So I understand there were more applicants than there were available homes for the affordable portion. Uh, there was a lottery is what Paul told me uh, uh, for yeah. pulling names oh. out of a hat. Yeah, only for a, a few of the houses. By the time, what we did was we set up an application um, process and then before they could actually pick out a house, they had to be pre-qualified not, mm-hmm. or pre-approved basically. Um, so by the time we got through that process, there weren't that many houses that were, were kind of auctioned off or that were in the lottery, but yeah, we did have to for, there were quite a few applicants at first period. I mean, we weeded through a lot and, and the gal who did the lending and she wasn't the only lender. We opened it up. We even had, um, uh, VA loans, a couple were FHA. Um, so she had all the programs, but if people wanted to go someplace else, that was fine with us too. We weren't trying to, to steer anybody in her direction. But um, by the time we, we went through that whole loan process, it, it pretty much worked out. We didn't have that many homes that we had to put in a lottery. Were most, the vast majority of the buyers, first, home, first time home buyers? There was a requirement, um, and I'd have to read through it again, but I still have it that if they were going to be 130% of median income, they had to be first home, first time home buyers or families. Um, you know, we weren't, we, we had a lot of applicants that were people who really wanted to invest in these. And um, it, we kind of had to discourage that. So, so this was a, a private, a wholly private program in execution, if I understand it correctly, the, the city helped in various ways, but the, the conception and the operation of the program was purely private. Yes. Yourself, Paul, Kate, and perhaps yes. a couple of other private individuals. Yeah. Uh, it's very, it's unusual and impressive. <laughs> it, it took, I, I have to give a good portion of the credit. Napa Valley Housing Authority was very helpful. They came up with some ideas. Um, and then Joan Picard, who was the gal who we really kind of used to, to line up the financing, she was a wonder because she knew every government program and every VA, FHA, you know, what it took to qualify and the whole bit. So she could work with people or at least steer them in the right direction. So if, if people did sell those homes before the 30 years, the, they, they would be obligated to pay back that silent second mortgage. And those monies would go where? Supposed to go into affordable housing kitty. Okay. So the, they didn't go back to Paul and Kate, but they went back into no, Calistoga no. affordable housing. 
not Cal. Well, yeah, whatever they've set up for an account for that. And I think they've used that money. They were trying to use it at first. Um, I think for they were talking about using it for um, helping first-time home buyers. And Jay Rippleson, who worked for Beck and Taylor years ago, and I worked with one of our city managers and actually got a program like that up and running, but the city didn't advertise it much or, or put it out there much, so not too many people knew about it, and it didn't get used all that often. And at some point, our houses just got so out of proportion in terms of pricing that, it, you know, the 120% of median income was out the door. Well, when when you you know look back on that program, is there anything that you think, again with the benefit of hindsight, might have improved the execution, or uh, is there anything you you would change uh, with the benefit of time? I I don't think so. I mean, I I really felt that it was a fairly and you know I can give you some of the names of the uh, one of the people that bought in there was Pat Hampton, who's editor of the paper. Um, and I think they've all been pretty happy with yes. with living in that little subdivision and with the houses that they got. We did provide, fortunately, because um, thinking back, I think interest rates for market rate houses at the time were somewhere around 8% during that period. So we did allow a provision in there that they could refinance the first for no more than the original amount. Um, so that they could take advantage of lower interest rates. And I'm sure almost every one of them did that fairly soon after when, once rates dropped. Um, but I think it turned out to be a pretty good program. I mean, I, I, you know, I take feedback and see what some of the, the um, borrower or buyers thought about it. But um, I think all in all, it turned out pretty well. Well, most of the buyers that are still there seem to be immensely happy and they've, they've uh, right. continued improving their homes, their big yards right. and things like that. So and we, we, and did the, we did the same program, I think, with um, the, the houses on Urbani Place. We called that Silverado Place. Um, there were two homes that Paul had to furnish as affordable. And I think we did the same program on that, but I, I'd have to go back and check. Right. Well, Sharon, thank you very much for your time today, and uh, it was uh, wonderful talking with you. Uh, your your position and perspective uh, as a, a partner to Paul and Kate is is, is pretty mm -hmm. unique. The, it's very difficult to find people uh, active in the city back then, so I really uh, appreciate you have a you have a strong memory, and that's been very helpful. No, not that strong anymore. But and again, okay. if you want the the um, the information on it, I'd be happy to furnish it to you. All right. Well, thank you very much. Okay, Sharon, thanks. I wish you a, a good day, and uh, hopefully you'll, you'll get out and enjoy this fantastic weather. We're going to try. Stay, stay healthy and safe.